Blog Talk Radio. For the next hour, we will be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And, of course, as always, you will get a heavy dose of my opinion. You have an opinion, the number to call, 646-727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. You can listen to the show at blogtalkradio.com slash pgant. That's blogtalkradio.com slash pgant. You can send messages to the show on Twitter, at GoForItGant. While you're there on Twitter, at GoForItGant, G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T, you can give me a follow, at GoForItGant. Great show lined up for you today. Expected to be joined by Cowboys defensive end Ever Brown. Cowboys right now on the two-game win streak at this point of the season, or 7-5 on top and tied for the top spot in the NFC East with the Philadelphia Eagles. They hold the tiebreaker at this point over the Eagles. They're both 7-5, and five, the Eagles and the Cowboys. Cowboys have a big football game Monday night against the Chicago Bears in Chicago, which is going to be tough. The Bears obviously not playing big-time football at this point, having lost two games in a row, six in their last nine. So not playing good football in Chicago, coming off a tough loss against the Minnesota Vikings in overtime where you had Mark Tressman doing the, the, the unexplainable on second down, kicking a 47-yard field goal. I understand it's indoors and whatnot. But, again, a 47-yard field goal is never guaranteed. That's not a guarantee. That's not considered a chip shot. I guess if it was inside 40 yards, I'll be okay with that. Or even, like, low 40s, 42, 43-yard field goal, I'd be okay with that. But when, you, when you're talking about a 47-yard field goal, that's no gimme by no stretch of the imagination. That's not a gimme. But we're going to talk to Everett Brown about the Cowboys upcoming football game against Chicago Bears. Also, J.R. Lemon will be joining us. He's an actor, and he stars in Tyler Perry's hit movie coming out next Friday, Tyler Perry's A Medea's Christmas, and that's going to be out next Friday, December 13th. So we're going to talk to J.R. Lemon about that. J.R. was a former football player, uh, played with the Oakland Raiders, never caught on, but he tried. But we're going to talk to him about that big-time movie, Tyler Perry's uh, Medea's Christmas. I want to start now. A lot of great college football. I mean, this is actually this is a great day in sports. Period. This is a great day in sports. Period. And also, make sure you stick around. I'm going to talk about the Houston Texans. As we know, the Houston Texans made a move this week, yesterday, in firing uh, Gary Kubiak. But I want to talk about the Texans, and I want to talk about 2011. So we're going to talk about 2011 and the Houston Texans and how. 2011 was a big year for the Houston Texans, so we're going to talk about that as well. So make sure you stick around for that. We're going to definitely touch on that. But like I said before, a great day of college football today, a lot of great football games, a lot of great matchups with a lot of significance. I mean, Missouri-Auburn for the SEC title, a lot of significance there, big-time significance there in that particular football game. You're talking about BCS championship ramifications possibly possibly and then 
You also have Duke and Florida State. Florida State wins. Guess what? They clinched their berth in the BCS title game. Michigan State, Ohio State. I know there's been talk about that Ohio State may have to beat Michigan State in impressive in an impressive way. I, I don't think so. I mean, this is a Michigan State ball club, 11-1, ranked 10th in the country. As far as I'm concerned, if you're Ohio State, and I understand the SEC is the SEC, but if you're Ohio State and you're in a major conference like the Big Ten, as far as I'm concerned, if you go, if you go undefeated in a major conference like the Big Ten, guess what? You deserve to go to a BCS title game. This is not Northern Illinois here. This is the Ohio State Buckeyes in Northern Illinois actually lost last night in the MAC title game. But this is the Ohio State Buckeyes. This is the Ohio State Buckeyes. This is the Big Ten. So as far as I'm concerned, if you win and go undefeated and you're in the Big Ten, you deserve to go to the BCS title game. And you could argue that at the end of the day, if Alabama were to play all these teams, that Alabama would beat all four, uh, you know, all the teams, Florida State or Ohio State or any other team that's in consideration, Missouri and uh, Auburn. I mean, you could argue that Ohio State, not Ohio State, Auburn could beat, not Auburn, Alabama, excuse me, could beat all of those football teams. But you look at the BCS right now. If Ohio State wins, and I know people have made this, this, you know, have been talking, you know, Ohio State needs to be impressed. No. If Ohio State wins, they're going to the BCS title game. Florida State, if they win, they are going to the BCS title game. But if Florida State, let's just say Florida State and Ohio State lose, then it gets interesting. I don't think that's going to happen, but let's just go with the premise that it happens. It gets interesting at that point. It gets very interesting at that point. Does Auburn, Alabama, Missouri, does the winner of Auburn, Auburn, Missouri, step into that place? And also does Alabama now step into that place? Or does Oklahoma State, if they win, bump up? I mean, it's just some different scenarios out there that are possibilities. I don't think it's ever going to happen because I don't think, first of all, I don't think Ohio, uh, I don't think Ohio State's losing to Michigan State, and I definitely don't think Florida State is losing to Duke. So with that being said, with that being said, the reality is it's not going to happen. But wouldn't it be fun for it to happen? I mean, I, I love when the BCS gets all mucked up. I, I love when the BCS gets a little sloppy and it gets a little uh, messy. I love all that. I, I would love for it to happen, but I don't think it's going to happen. I definitely don't think it's going to happen. But if you ask me, Alabama's uh, just as good, if not better, than Florida State, Ohio State, and Auburn. They're better than any, team, any of those teams as far as I'm concerned. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You lost the game. It is what it is. And the way they lost that game, I mean, you look at that particular football game, Alabama and Auburn, what a game that was. I mean, you, you want to talk about big-time football, the Iron Bowl, the excitement of the Iron Bowl. You want to talk about excitement, and you want to talk about that ending. That ending is and truly was amazing. That that was amazing. That goes up there with, with the Scott Frost play and the Doug Flutie Hail Mary play. I mean, that that, that was a Big time play and interesting, and it didn't need to happen. It shouldn't have happened. Adam Griffin trying a 58, 57-yard field goal, excuse me, 57-yard field goal. How many college kickers do you know can make a 57-yard field goal? Heck, how many NFL kickers do you know can make a 57-yard field goal outside? How many do you know consistently? 
So you know, as far as I'm concerned, why are you kicking a 57-yard field goal? Why, why, why are you kicking a 57-yard field goal if you're Nick Saban in that particular position? Why are you doing that? That doesn't make any type of sense. So he kicks a 57-yard field goal, and it gets returned 100 yards, and the rest is history. Chris Davis, 100-yard return, and the rest is history. Auburn now in the SEC title game. Alabama now on the outside looking in. And it's a play that should not have happened. And speaking of plays that should not have happened, you look at Ohio State last week against Michigan. Ohio State and Michigan last week in that particular football game. Michigan now scores a touchdown, kicked the extra point. Guess what? Michigan goes into overtime at home against Ohio State. No. Michigan wanted to go for two. So Michigan wanted to go for the victory at that point in time. Michigan wanted the victory at that point in time. I understand the thinking. You've got to respect the aggression, the aggressiveness of the Michigan team. You've got to respect it for going, you know, they're going for two, and you've got to respect them going for two. You respect it, but as far as I'm concerned, you're the home team. You're at home. If you're at home, you have an advantage. I can understand if you're on the road. If you're on the road, then the decision to go for two makes a little more sense. It really does. But being that you're home, being that you have your home crowd behind you, it would make more sense. And I understand Brady Hoke and what he did and why he did it. Heck, he was quoted as saying, we played the game to win. And that's why everybody plays the game, Brady. So that's Captain Obvious. But the reality is, you're at home. So if you're at home, you have an opportunity now to go into overtime and see what happens. You're at home. I understand the thinking. I understand the thought process. But again, you're at home. And the reality is, maybe if Brady Hoke makes a different decision, maybe if Nick Saban makes a different decision, then the BCS title game will look much different. That's just, that's just reality. But we'll see what happens today. A lot of great football, a lot of great college football. I want to go back to the NFL now. Dallas Cowboys, a big football game on Monday night against the Chicago Bears, a big game, a game that means a lot, a lot. For both of these football teams, I mean, the Chicago Bears, as bad as they played, as bad as they've been, losing six and nine, losing two in a row, as bad as they've been, they have an opportunity now, an opportunity, a big opportunity now, if Detroit loses to the Philadelphia Eagles, which is a possibility, Chicago could be right back there in terms of being on top of the NFC Central. The NFC Central has morphed into the NFC East. The NFC Central has become the NFC East. But look at it. If, if the Bears win tomorrow, if the Lions lose to the Philadelphia Eagles, which is a possibility, Philadelphia playing some big-time football right now, the Bears would be on top of the NFC North 
tied with the Detroit Lions. So it was a big football game for the Cowboys, big football game for the Chicago Bears. And we're going to bring in a guy now who uh, is going to have something to say about what happens tomorrow, or excuse me, Monday night in Chicago. Uh, let's bring him in now, defensive end for the Dallas Cowboys, Everett Brown. Everett, how are you, man? Hey, I'm doing good, Paul. How you doing? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me back on. Big victory by you guys against the Oakland Raiders on Thanksgiving. You gave up 21 points in the first half, and then that second half you guys kind of clamped down on the Raiders. What did you guys do differently on the defensive side of the football in that second half? Uh, you know, uh, schematically we didn't do do anything different. Uh, we just knew that we, we had to pick up our play. We weren't pl- playing as well as we were capable of playing, and we weren't executing as well as we needed to. So, you know, we went into halftime. You know, we didn't we didn't point any fingers at everybody. Just kind of looked at each other and said, let's go, let's pick it up. Uh, you know, in the second half, you know, they don't get anything. And, you know, we went back out there and played with a lot of energy and, you know, a lot of effort, which, you know, is what the defense is built around. And uh, we were able to get a big win on Thanksgiving. And I heard you say this was your first time playing on Thanksgiving. How was it, man? Was it different playing football on Thanksgiving? I know you probably did it in high school, but in terms on the NFL level. Oh, it was absolutely uh, different from any, from any other game. Um, you know, I played on, you know, in Thursday night games before, but never on Thanksgiving. So this one was a little bit, you know, it was special. I mean, you know, just getting text messages, you know, from my family members and, you know, then my dad also saying how, you know, special this day was for him because, you know, ever since he was young and, you know, and I was, you know, a kid growing up, we always, you know, were able to eat good till we couldn't eat anymore and, uh, right. you know, watch watch football all day. Um, so, you know, for me to be out there playing, he's saying it was special to him. So, you know, I just wanted to go out there and, you know, and just, just play well and then, uh, you know, and get a W because after a W, everything tastes better. <laughs> Definitely. And right now you guys – are playing some pretty good football on a two-game win streak as you go into December. Do you feel like you guys are peaking as a team right now? You know, I do. I feel like in all three phases, uh, you know, guys are holding each other accountable, um, which is important going into December because, you know, December is when, when teams really make up their mind, you know, if they're going to do it to, to you know, get them chance, get themselves a chance in the playoffs or if they're going to just – say, hey, we got a four-game season, let's just end, you know, try to end on a good note. So right. this is a time of year where teams are going to make the decision, you know, what they want to be remembered for in December. And, you know, and they start with the players. Um, and we have a good group of guys here, um, you know, and a good group of leaders that, uh, you know, we've, you know, already began to take that step, um, you know, going into December. Now, this is your first year in Dallas. Much has been made of the Cowboys' struggles in December over the years. Has the coaching staff talked about that at all? Uh, you, no, it hasn't. It hasn't even been, okay. been uh, you know, it hasn't surfaced at all in any of the meetings in the locker room. Uh, you know, everybody's pretty much focused on uh, just one day at a time, you know, making sure that we we don't let little things, you know, creep into the building such as, um, you know, talking about, you know, things that have happened in the past or, you know, you start to, to get comfortable, um, mm-hmm. 
you know, and you're not attention to detail as far as the game plan and your technique. So, you know, we just really just try to come into the, to the facility day in and day out and make sure that, you know, we take care of business so that when we go out on Sunday, uh, we'll be prepared to play well. We're talking to Cowboys defensive end, Everett Brown. Now, Everett, also much has been made of the December struggles with your quarterback, Tony Romo. In December, he is 11-15. and 15. You were on the outside looking in for many years. What do you make of those struggles? What, what do you see? What, what have you saw over the years in Romo? Well, first, first of all, you know he's a good quarterback, and uh, you know he's a, you know, to me he's always been, you know, he's always been a clutch player. I haven't had the opportunity to play him in December, um, so mm-hmm. you know, from from that looking at it from that point of view, I, I don't have any experience there, um, but. You know, there has been December. I mean, December is an important month, you know. And as a player, you want to be playing in December because those are the games that, 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 you know, I guess they, they count a little bit more because they're in December. So, and, you know, coming toward the, the last stretch of the schedule and, and, uh, you know, everybody needs to be playing, you know, their best football in December. So, you know, now is another December and another opportunity. So, you know, I think that we're doing, as players and as coaches, you know, we're, we're doing everything that we need to do to make sure that we're as successful um, as we can be. Now, you came to Dallas in late October. You, mm-hmm. you, in your first action, you actually had a sack against the Minnesota Vikings. As a whole, have you been happy with your play at this point? Yeah. I've uh, I've been happy with my play. You know, I, uh, I feel like, you know, I was able to come in and uh, – you know, in the Dallas, and I knew that I would get my opportunity. I just didn't know how quickly or how long I would have to wait um, before the opportunity presented itself. And, you know, the first game, you know, uh, the opportunity was there, and, you know, and I was able to have a few um, key plays in the game to help us come out with a win. And then since then, just really been, you know, diving into the system, you know, listening to the coaches and, and just, you know, bringing something to the table here to this organization. Um, you know, you look at the D-line and, you know, guys have been in and out, um, you know, all season. So I just wanted to bring that, that high energy to the field and, you know, bring that speed to the field because the defense is built for speed. You know, guys on the D-line that can run, especially defensive men that can run sideline to sideline, um, you know, and, and create, you know, turnovers from, from their efforts. So, that's what I'm continuing to bring, and then obviously, you know, be able to get after the quarterback and create pressure. Now, I watched you in the preseason in Philly, and I thought you had a fairly mm-hmm. good preseason. It seemed like to me the whole situation in Philly just came down to a numbers game. What happened to you in Philly? Yeah, I think you're right on it with the numbers game. Um, you know, the 3 4 uh, defensive system, and, you know, and at the end of the, at the end of the camp, I felt like she wanted to keep three outside backers, and we had seven total, you know, during camp. So obviously that was a that was a you know a good number of guys at that one position uh, that they had to choose from, and you know, and they chose the guys that they that they wanted, and you know, and they felt most comfortable with, and uh, you know, they're just part of the business. So you know, I take my experience in Philly uh, as a positive experience, and. You know, and I learned more football because I was at a different position. So, right. you know, I had to learn learn different techniques, and I had to I had to learn the offense from a different perspective. Where on the D line, I'm looking at the offensive line a lot. You know, um, 
and I'm looking at, you know, maybe the running backs, but, you know, a linebacker in Philadelphia, I had to look at the entire offense and look at formations and know what personnel was in the game. So, you know, it, it helped me become a better better football player uh, because, you know, I was a student of the game. We're talking to Cowboys defensive end Everett Brown, and speaking of the Eagles, the Eagles are 7-5. and five. You are 7-5, and five, mm-hmm. and I know you want to take it one game at a time, but the final game of the season is against the Philadelphia Eagles. Would that game yeah. mean a little extra special to you? <laughs> well, yeah, all, game, all games are special to me, but, uh, <laughs> you know, look, looking, at that, looking at that matchup, um, week 17, you know, that, that game could be, um, I guess, a lot bigger than what, you know, people will – expected it to be when the schedule first come out. Right. Um, but, you know, it would be a great opportunity. Uh, it would be, you know, here in Dallas. So, um, you know, playing in front of the home crowd and, you know, just a chance to go against some of the guys that I had opportunity to go against during camp and, right. you know, OTAs during the offseason there in Philadelphia. You know, it's always fun to go back and play against those guys in a game game situation. Now your middle linebacker, Charlie, is expected to return this week from a hamstring injury. Tell us what he means to your defense and having him back on the field. What does that mean to your defense? Well, Sean is huge. Um, you know, he brings he brings intensity to the field, but he also brings um, you know a lot of a lot of experience. And, and you know, with Sean being at the Mike backer, I mean, he's the quarterback of the defense. So, you know, when things get blurry, he clean. You know, he clears up the picture, and then you know by making the adjustments and making the calls. You know, and then um, he just, you know, he just he just has a nose for the ball. He's always around the ball. I mean, he's getting interceptions off tips. You know, he's creating fumbles. Uh, he's a guy that you definitely want on the field with you and that you want to be on the field with um, day in and day out. Now you have the Bears, a team that's struggling right now, lost their last two games, have lost six of their last nine games. What have you seen from this Bears team on film this week? Well, when you look at the Bears, I mean, you don't see the record um, because they they make the plays and you know and they line up you know each and every week to to play a game. And then NFL, uh, as you know, each week in and week out, you know, every team has to has to bring their A game. Um, so when so when I look at the film, I definitely don't see that that record. <clears throat> um, but you know, they don't have you know Jay. Uh, at quarterback, you know, so right. you're looking at Josh McCown and, and uh, you know, and, and, then, and then they have weapons on the outside with the, you know, oversized, tall receivers that they like to get the ball to create one-on-one matchups. And then you got Forte uh, in the backfield, who's, you know, who's been running, uh, you know, pretty consistently throughout the time there. But overall, it's just a team that, you know, they show up to play and, you know, we have to go out on the road Monday night I mean, you know, we have to set the tone and set it early because, you know, just like for them, you know, for us it's a must win as well. So, you know, we're not going to take it lightly and we're going to go out and, uh, you know, make sure we play our best ball Monday night. We're talking to Cowboys defensive end Everett Brown. Now, Everett, you're a Florida State guy, as we found out yesterday. Jameis Winston will not be charged with rape in that particular case. I didn't personally, I didn't see any way he could have been charged. It, It just didn't seem like based off all the facts and the evidence that he could have been convicted. Just your thoughts on the whole situation. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't have too much, you know, to say on it. Um, 
I don't know James personally. I've seen him at uh, you know my time going back to Florida State, and you know I had a chance to see him in the spring game, and then I saw him in two games uh, in action this year. Went to the Clemson game and NC State game in Tallahassee, uh, you know. But I mean, I'm just you know just looking at it. You know, you're talking about a 19 year old guy, um, right? You know who you know had to overcome um, adversity and. You know, I think it was definitely a situation that he would learn from, you know, and and so will everybody else that's around him because, you know, when things like that happen, it doesn't just affect one person. It affects everybody that, that's around. So, uh, you know, for Jameis, I'm happy that he can move forward um, and, you know, and, and, you know, and have better days to come. So, you know, that's, that's pretty much my take on it. Um, you know, and I know that, they're in Charlotte now having to get ready for the ACC game tomorrow night. Now, there is no way that the boys from Duke University, a basketball team, Duke is known for basketball. They're not known for football, but they've had a good year this season. There's no way in your mind that the Duke Blue Devils can stop the Florida State Seminoles from getting to the BCS title game. Is there? Is there any way? No. No, there's no way. Um <laughs> You know, we we've been consistent all year. Uh, we haven't, you know, we 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 went out we went out weekend weekend and weekend out, um, you know, and and we were consistent with the things that we were doing, and uh, you know, to get this close um, to your goals that you said at the beginning of the year, you know, you're going to do everything to protect it and everything to make sure that that you know, you attain those goals, and this is one game closer to it. Um, right. You know, we don't want to make it any bigger than, than what it is. It's an ACC championship game, um, you know, that's one step away from the national championship game. So, yeah, we definitely want to go out and take care of business tomorrow night. So there's no way. It's not going to happen. The Florida State is going to get to the BCS title game. And who would you rather see, Ohio State or Alabama? Uh, you know, I mean, all season I have been looking at it, and you know, I, I mean, I had everything set on Alabama, uh, just because of the you know tradition and the rivalry, and well, not so much the rivalry, but just the tradition. I mean, I remember when we played in 2007. Uh, I was at Florida State. We played Alabama in a neutral site in Jacksonville uh, at the Jaguars Stadium, and uh, you know, and it was just it seemed like a bowl game, but it was a it was a neutral site game in the middle of the season, so. You know, I can only imagine, you know, what kind of excitement that would bring for a national championship game and, you know, what it would do just for, you know, for the for the world because everybody would be tuned in and there would be a lot of hype around it. Um, so, you know, I was looking forward to Alabama, but, you know, at this point, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just excited that we had opportunity, you know, in one game away from actually, you know, being in a national championship game. It's probably going to be Ohio State when it's all said and done. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, there's a lot of talk, you know, that, that they have to win this weekend as well. So, right. you know, we'll see. But, you know, Ohio State has been playing pretty solid all year. Definitely. That's been big time throughout the course of this year. So we'll see what happens. Could be Alabama, could be Auburn, could be Ohio State. We'll see. A lot of great football to be played, but you guys got to handle business against Duke. And you guys will handle your business. I can't see you guys losing to the Duke Blue Devils. Everett, I know you have a website. Where can fans connect with you on that website? Yeah, uh, it's my website, everettbrown.com. And, uh, 
you know, I have a lot of links up there, um, you know, with community and things that I'm doing. And, you know, I'm going to start trying to blog more uh, just to give more frequent updates. But everbrown.com is where you can find me and Twitter at everbrown. Everett, pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck against the Bears on Monday Night Football. Let's do this again. All right, sounds good, Paula. Thank you for having me on. Everett Brown, defensive end for the Dallas Cowboys. And as I said, the Dallas Cowboys have a big football game tomorrow, uh, Monday night, excuse me, against the Chicago Bears. I mean, that, that's going to be a big game for, I mean, for the NFC East and the NFC North. And as I've said before we brought Everett on, you know, the Bears are right there. The Bears are right there. The Detroit Lions have been very inconsistent, a football team that you really can't trust. Anybody that says they trust the Lions is is fooling themselves. I mean, this team, albeit talented, is an erratic team in a lot of ways. You don't trust them. You don't trust their coach. Pittsburgh Steelers game, fake field goal. What an opportunity there to go up seven. I mean, you, you don't trust their quarterback. Four interceptions against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at home. So as great as many numbers as Stafford puts up and as talented as this Detroit Lions football team is, you really don't trust them. Can you honestly say you trust the Detroit Lions? I don't think you can say that. I don't think anybody can say that. I, don't, I mean, how could you? How could you trust the Detroit Lions? I mean, how could you trust the Lions? It's impossible to trust that football team. But the Lions, as I said, they travel to Philadelphia. And how about the Philadelphia Eagles? And how about more specifically Nick Foles? And the numbers he has put up, 19 touchdowns and zero interceptions. I mean, 19 touchdowns, zero interceptions for Nick Foles at this point. 19 and zero. 19 and zero. I mean, I mean, just think about that. Process that. There was one. There was one quarterback who did it better, and that was Peyton Manning. That was Peyton Manning. He started out with 20 touchdowns to zero interceptions. So if Nick Foles goes out and does what he's been doing throughout the course of this season, then more often he's probably going to break Peyton Manning's record. He's going to probably break Peyton Manning's record. And you also look at Nick Foles now at this point. Let's just say Nick Foles, for the sake of argument, right now he's at 19 touchdowns. Let's just say he goes next four games. He has four games left. Let's say on average three touchdowns per. At that point, that's 12 touchdowns. That's 31 touchdowns. Obviously, he's going to throw a pick at some point. Let's say, let's just say, for the sake of argument, three to four picks to that 31 touchdowns. I mean, even if, if it's not 31, let, let's just say it goes two, three, two, three. You know, and at that point, you're talking about 10 touchdowns added to that 19. You're talking now about 29 touchdowns. Or let's just go even more conservative. Let's just say two, 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 two. Eight, eight touchdowns in the final four games, two per game. Eight touchdowns. 27 touchdowns to three, four, five interceptions. I mean, those, we're now talking about MVP caliber numbers, and as crazy as that sounds, I mean, we're talking about Nick Foles and the possibilities of MVP. If you talk about those numbers, 
Those numbers, I mean, those are some impressive numbers for Nick Foles. Those are impressive numbers. There's no doubt about it. Those are some impressive numbers. 30. Uh, the possibility of 30 or, or 28, 27 touchdowns to three, four interceptions, those are big-time numbers there. Those are MVP caliber numbers. Those type of numbers coupled with, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles were one and three at one point. Again, not many people expected the Eagles to be anything this year. Not many expected them to be in the position that they're in at this stage of the season. As a Philadelphia Eagles fan, it's great to have meaningful December football. No doubt about that. But many did not expect it. But Nick Foles and the type of numbers that he's put up, those numbers are big-time numbers or MVP-caliber numbers. Those are MVP-caliber numbers. You stack those up against any and everybody, quarterback-wise, you you gotta you, you can't those numbers are big, those are big numbers. And again, I was one of these guys who wasn't so sure about Nick Foles in terms of being a franchise quarterback. I, I wasn't one of those guys who was who, who was talking Nick Foles. I wasn't Nick Foles. I wasn't that guy. I'm, I'm be first to tell you, I wasn't that guy. But he's making a believer out of me as we continue to move forward. He's making a believer out of me. I think he's making a believer out of everybody. 125.2 quarterback rating. 125.2 quarterback rating for Nick Foles. That's big time. 19 touchdowns, zero interceptions, big time. 63% completion percentage, big time. All these, coupled with the success that the Philadelphia Eagles are having, you can, I think you have to at least talk about Nick Foles in terms of being an MVP candidate. And also in terms of the Pro Bowl. You have to talk about this guy in those terms at this point. You've got to talk to him in, these, in, in those terms. The numbers speak for themselves. They speak for themselves. You're talking about Peyton Manning territory. Now, again, I'm, I'm just as surprised as you. I'm just as surprised as you that Nick Foles has been able to put up those type of numbers. I'm just as surprised as you. I didn't expect it. I didn't expect it. Or there's no, I don't think anybody expected the type of success he's had. Especially, I mean, you look at even after the three touchdowns after the, in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers game, you go to the Dallas game where he was awful. 11 for 29, 80 yards. Awful in that particular football game. But uh, the sign of a, uh, of a tough football player, sign of a, a guy with a lot of mental fortitude is Nick Foles came back after missing a game, came back against the Raiders and threw for seven touchdowns. Seven touchdowns against the Raiders. Seven. 
threw for seven against the Raiders, then came back against the Packers and threw three more, then came back last week against a big-time Cardinals defense, the Arizona Cardinals, and put up three more touchdowns. So the numbers for Nick Foles speak for themselves. Speak for themselves. What happens now? Obviously, the, the final four games of the season, the Eagles have a decision to make in terms of, and I know Chip Kelly said that Nick Foles will be his quarterback for the next thousand years. But we'll see. You've got four more games to determine whether or not Nick Foles will be the franchise guy for the Philadelphia Eagles. Maybe the Eagles have made the decision at this point and said Nick Foles is their guy moving forward. It just doesn't seem like he would be, just judging by looking at the, the Chip Kelly's offense. Nick Foles is not the prototypical quarterback for a Chip Kelly-led offense. He's just not. doesn't have the running ability that Chip Kelly desires. And that could be one of the reasons, one of the biggest reasons that Michael Vick edged Nick Foles out in terms of the quarterback competition. But you look at the Eagles, you look at Nick Foles, and you look at what's going to happen in the next few weeks, it should be very, very interesting. Four weeks left in the National Football League. Four weeks left. Four weeks left. And before we get out of here today, I'm going to give you, I'm going to put on my, my, my psychic hat, if you will, and I'm going to just let you know what's going to happen. So I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen these final four weeks, who is going to prevail, who is going to be in the playoffs, just so you know, just to give you an idea what is probably going to happen in these next four weeks. A lot of football to be played, a lot of football. And I'm going to tell you all, these next four weeks, what exactly is going to happen. Just before I get to that, before I get to that, let me just give you uh, where everything stands, first four teams in in the NFC in terms of winning their division, Seattle, New Orleans, Detroit, Dallas. Dallas is tied with Philadelphia, of course. Last two spots, Carolina, San Francisco. On the outside looking in, Philadelphia at 7-5, but again, they're tied with Dallas. On top of the NFC East, Arizona 7-5. The Bears 6-6, six and six, Packers 5-6. and six. I don't think you even need to go past the Bears. AFC, first six in at this point, Denver, AFC West champion, going to win the AFC West champ. Going to win the AFC East, West, excuse me, can't even talk. Got my West and my East all messed up, but Denver's going to win the AFC West. Two-game lead over Kansas City, essentially, at this point. New England, probably going to win the East. Indianapolis, you got them, and you also have the Cincinnati Bengals. At, these, at that point, at this point, I should say, those four teams are in in terms of winning their division. And on top of their division, at this point, Kansas City, first wild card. Baltimore in at the second wild card. Tennessee still alive. Pittsburgh still alive. San Diego still alive. The Jets still alive. So a lot of teams still alive in the mix for an opportunity in the AFC. But we're going to tell you what's going to happen. Now, I want to go down to baseball. And, and yesterday, Robbie Cano, he got paid. He got paid. The Yankees decided not to pay him, 
and, and the Yankees, you know, they drew a line in the sand. You know, we're not going over $175 million. We're not giving you 10 years. That's not what we're going to do. That's not our idea. That's not what our, we, we want to do. We've been down that road of a 10-year contract. See Alex Rodriguez. But anyway, the Yankees decided that Robinson Cano wasn't the guy for them. So what they decided to do was let Robinson Cano go to Seattle. And Seattle showed Robinson Cano and Jay-Z the money, and Robinson Cano and Jay-Z signed that 10-year, $240 million deal. We all know the history of 10-year deals. We all know recently Albert Pujols, that's an awful deal. We all know Alex Rodriguez, that's an awful deal. But let me tell you something about Alex Rodriguez. Before Alex Rodriguez signed that deal with the, loss, with the um, New York Yankees, 10 years, $275 million, he was the AL most valuable player. He also hit 314. He also hit 54 home runs and 156 RBI. So his numbers were big time before he signed that big deal. Albert Pujols. Albert Pujols, you look at him, 2011, before he signed with the, Cal, uh, the Anaheim Angels, before he signed with the Angels, the Anaheim, Anaheim Angels, before he signed with them, 37 home runs, 99 RBI, 299 batting average. Numbers were a little down, but guess what? Look at the previous seasons, 2007, 327, 357, 327, 312, and those are the batting averages. And the home run numbers, those are 32, 37, 47, and 42. So those numbers are big time. Albert Pujols, at the time he signed the deal, he was considered one of uh, the best hitters in the game of baseball. Alex Rodriguez, same deal. Now you have Robinson Cano. When you look at his numbers, you look at the ages of these guys when they signed their deals. Cano is 31. Pujols was 32 when he signed his deal. A-Rod, 32 as well. But you look at Pujols and you look at A-Rod and you say, you, you say to yourself, at that point in time, those guys were, were, were probably the best at their particular positions. One of the best in the game at that particular time. A-Rod coming off MVP number, um, an MVP season putting up big-time MVP numbers, 54 home runs, 156 RBI. So when you look at it, you look at it, Cano doesn't stack up to those guys. He doesn't. So you understand why the Yankees did not show him the money. You understand why the Yankees did not show him the money. You understand it. You get it. You understand and you get it. The Yankees didn't want to go and do what they did with Alex Rodriguez. And what a mistake they did with Alex Rodriguez. They're paying for it as we speak. And no one knew at the time, 2007, did you really know? You didn't know at the time Alex Rodriguez was a steroid cheat. You didn't know that at that point in time. You didn't know that Albert Pujols would would would, would just become a shell of himself. Just be an injury-riddled player. You didn't know that. You didn't expect that to happen. There's always the possibilities when guys get in their 30s that these things happen. 32 years old, you know, you're, you're, you're still at the peak, but you're near the end of that peak. 
You're near the end of that peak. So it's understand. I mean, when when Paul Holtz is get gets done with this deal, he'll be 42 years old. Just based off what we saw or have seen over the past couple of years, he's not going to be the same player. I mean, it's just it's reality. That's what we've seen for Albert Pujols. So, yes, the Yankees did the right thing. They ultimately signed Carlos Beltran, three years, $45 million. He's older, but he's had some big-time years and done some big-time work, especially in the playoffs for the St. Louis Cardinals. So you, you understand the, the Yankees had to do something. They signed Ellsbury this week, and they also brought back, they brought in Paul, uh, Beltron. So the Yankees felt they needed to do something, and they did it. Will, will it replace what they lose with Robinson Cano? We'll see. But Beltran at this point is on the other side of things. I mean, he's 37 years old. At some point, he's going to be 37 years old. He's 37 years old right now. At some point, he might start acting 37. So the Yankees, as far as I'm concerned, have they made themselves better? Time will tell. Ellsbury has had some issues with injuries. Um, Beltron, he is up in age. Will the Yankees? be a better baseball team. Was this, and, and the, the, there's still some things out there they could do, but the reality is the Yankees decided, and just based off history, it probably was the smart move for the Yankees not to give Cano 10 years, $240 million. It probably was a, a smart move on the Yankees' part. History tells you that it was a smart move. History tells you that 10-year deals don't work out very well. That's what history tells you. So do you believe history? Do you believe history? Or do you decide, you know what? We believe that Robinson Cano can be a big-time player moving forward. And he is big-time. He is big-time. But is he worth... Two hundred and forty million dollars over ten years. That's the question you have to ask, and I think you get the answer. History tells you that the answer is obvious. No, he's not. But kudos to Jay Z, Rock Nation, for for giving and getting Pujols, not Pujols, giving uh, getting Cano that type of deal. Getting to know that type of money. Kudos to those guys. Kudos, Jay-Z, Rock Nation, and Robbins Cano. Kudos to them. Cano just got paid. Got paid. Ten years, $240 million. Hopefully, if you're a Yankees fan, it ends well for you. But there, all, there is a possibility... That may not end well for you. That is the possibility. Good possibility. So we'll see. Moving forward, what happens with the Yankees? What happens with Robinson Cano? 
We're not paying it. Bottom line. We're not paying it. The Yankees are not paying it. And if you're Cano, you got your money. And, you know, 175 and 240, it's a big difference, $65 million. It's a lot of money. $65 million. So what would you do? What would you do? Who cares if you love New York? Who cares if it is New York? $65 million is $65 million. There's, there's no getting around that one. I think if anybody were, were had the option, if I can give you $1 million or $65 million, what would you take? What would you take? Would you take $1 million or $65 million? I think the answers are pretty obvious. So if you're Robinson Cano, you did the right thing financially. In terms of baseball sense, you could argue that maybe you didn't. In terms of being in New York, the media capital of the world, in terms of the opportunities endorsement-wise in New York, the opportunity to, to take over the city of New York, well, especially with Jay-Z next to you, who's a, who's a big-time power broker. I mean, Jay-Z now, Cano, has Kevin Durant. Obviously, he made his mark in, in the rap world, made his mark in terms of clothes, rock aware. Now he's making his mark. Became, what, was the Nets owner at one point? had a little share there, and now he's an agent. He's got his own agency. And he's got some big-time players, Cano and Durant. That's big. So Jay-Z is going to be a factor moving forward. He is going to be a big-time factor moving forward in this game. We'll see what happens moving forward. You're listening to Go For It on Block Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but I just don't see anything in the playoffs time. In the playoffs time, it doesn't mean anything. I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your, nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist, <laughs> too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that you know. We know that you can tempt married women. We've seen you. You, you have a pedigree. We see what you can do. We've seen it. I would never bring my wife around to. I just don't know what you're capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's all right. That's not Robbie. That's called brother. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. <laughs> and we're back. We're going to bring in a guy now, big time movie out, coming out next Friday, A Medea's Christmas, Tyler Perry's A Medea's Christmas. We, we all know Tyler Perry. We all know the Medea character. Now it's going to be A Medea's Christmas. And one of the guys who's a part of that is actor and one of the stars of Medea's Christmas. Let's bring him in now, J.R. Lemon. Yes, sir. JR, how are you, man? 
I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How, how about yourself? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. Oh, man, thank you for having me. Now, as we said, big-time movie coming out next Friday, A Medea's Christmas, Tyler Perry's A Medea's Christmas. First of all, how did that role come about for you? Uh, it came about for me. You know, I just auditioned for it like I would uh, anything else. Um, you know, my agent sent me out uh, to the castings and stuff. Um, but I had actually met Tyler a year before at a casting, and uh, we really had a good time and kind of hit it off. And um, and I think he remembered me. From what I remember, he remembered me from that initial audition that the previous year. So, uh, you know, when I came back for the callback, so to speak, uh, you know, we had we had a nice little chat, and uh, they offered me the role. So, just like that, and yeah, obviously, again, you're a part of this big time movie coming out next Friday. You play the role of Oliver. Tell us about your character. So Oliver is the ex boyfriend of uh, the character Lacey, um, who basically is kind of play- is, is hiding some information from her mom. Uh, there's some things her mom doesn't necessarily know about her. Her mom really likes me. Uh, she was that I was that boyfriend that you know the mom always wanted uh, her daughter to keep. So right. uh, when they decide to go surprise Lacey, uh, you know I come along. I'm basically just a young, you know, businessman in in sales and marketing, um, and I got you know I got a bit, a bit of swag about myself. Uh, huh? I'm still I still have a thing for my ex girlfriend, which is why. You know, I'm kind of in on uh, going and surprising her also. Okay. All right. Now, working with Tyler Perry, obviously we know the talent that he has. Give us a glimpse of working with Tyler Perry. Well, I think the thing about work, I mean, it's, it's, it's so exciting working with him because everything moves so, everything's moving so fast. He knows exactly what he wants. And it's it's really on you to just come in, do a great job and trust, um, you know, really a visionary, you know, a guy that, uh, you know, to, to me has so much, you know, on those shoulders, man. Those wheels are turning so at such a rapid pace, man. It, it, right. It's great to be along for the ride, you know. Okay. Now, what's, I mean, when you, when you work with a guy like that who, who is talented, who is quick on his feet, who, who's always thinking, who is a visionary, does that make you kind of step up your acting game? Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. You know, it's, it's um, you know, the business, you know, me coming from the athletic world and, you know, transferring it to, you know, the, the entertainment business, you know, and acting, um, you realize, man, once you get to that professional space, you know, it's, it's sink or swim. You know, it's either it, – there is no in-between. It's – uh situation where you have to step up to the plate no matter what is being, you know, thrown at you and that's gonna you know, that's gonna be the mark of your professionalism. So, you know, with, with Tyler, man, it was um I didn't find it I found it a, I found it a great working environment, you know. Um I I really did. You know, I, it's been much worse for me with people yelling down my throat and <laughs> throwing water bottles at me, man, you know. <laughs> that was a that was a breeze. So, so it's basically like fourth and one, and you got to get that extra yards any means necessary. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent, because it's 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 fourth and one of the mind, man. Like I feel like the acting game, uh, you know, the the high knees and the karaoke and all that stuff is, is going on inside of your head, right? Right. 
all that your your whole business is in your head. It's a mark of your confidence. It's a mark of, you know, do you ultimately, in my opinion, do you love it? Because if you love it, then nothing is too nothing is too great, and nothing right. is too much of a challenge. You know what I'm saying? So, so is it more challenging in terms of acting in comparison to playing football for you? Uh, well, I think it's I think you know. Malcolm Gladwell says it takes 10,000 hours to be, you know, a master at anything, right? Uh-huh. You know, with, for me, I'm being terrified, you know, my first, you know, the first class that I was in, the first acting school that I was in, I was terrified. And I remember a guy asked me a couple of days ago, he said, man, you, you know, you, you used to get chased around by 300-pounders, man. Um, I bet standing in front of a camera and, and speaking with people is, is, is easy. And I said, quite the contrary, man. It, it's, it is, you know. I, I found a joint in now, but uh, oof, you know, it was, it was, it was rough. So, <laughs> how, how many years? How many years as an actor did it take for you to say, you know what? I, I'm comfortable. I'm confident in my skin as an actor. Sure. You know, I was very fortunate. Um, I basically trained for about two and a half years, about two years, but I definitely. I definitely, you know, coddled this theatrical game, if you will. I, I didn't put myself out there before I felt like I could not only contribute, but I could also collaborate and not just be someone you just told told things to, but who actually could have a conversation with you. Um, because I felt like that would that would move me at a higher at a, at a higher at a higher speed, um, if you will. Uh, so it was about two and a half years for me, but I was I was extremely extremely fortunate to to uh, be able to meet some of the right people and be able to be kind of placed in some of the right situations, and you know to have some fortune, man, and be able to take advantage of that fortune, you know, through my preparation. We're talking to actor, one of the stars of Tyler Perry's The Medea's Christmas, J.R. Lemon, and J.R. As we said, the movie premieres next Friday. Tell us, tell the yes, fans, sir. tell everybody, why should we go see? A Medea's Christmas. Look, you got to go see Medea Christmas because you want to laugh. You're going to get the heartfelt warming sensation, that wholesomeness. You're going to get Medea who basically just, you know, the, the reason why you watch Medea is because Medea is the lady that says what everybody's thinking in the room. When some awkward situation is going on and people are too sheepish to talk about it, she's the one that's going to put it out the light. And you're gonna love it. It's gonna make you laugh because you were thinking the same thing. So <laughs> you go see Medea Christmas because you want to have you want to have a good time. You go with the family. It's something in there for everybody, man. And I promise you, you won't you won't be disappointed. Now, Jr., you played college football at Stanford, and ultimately you were undrafted, but ultimately you signed with the Raiders. That didn't work out for yes. you. Tell us all in all what happened with your professional NFL career. I mean, nothing really happened, you know, so to speak. I got, I got released. Uh, I was with the Raiders for about what, three months, uh, signed as an undrafted free agent, went to the OTAs, uh, mini camps. Um, and I remember, uh, you know, one of the things I think that got me as an undrafted free agent was that my college was on uh, the quarter system. So after the rookie mini camp, there was a lot of stuff I couldn't go to because we didn't finish school till June. And, okay. uh, you know, as you know, most schools are on semester. So for those undrafted guys, man, that that, that OTA time after the rookie mini camp is invaluable, you know, for to get in front of the special teams guys. So I missed a large chunk of that, which I think definitely hurt me. 
Um, but, I mean, I, I don't know that it was anything, you know, bad I did on my part. I just think that, uh, you know, it was a numbers game at that point in the running back's room um, when they were going off to camp. Uh, so I left there, kept working out, bounced around, you know, working out for different teams. And then I went to uh, this new league, the All-American Football League, was coming out to uh, take the place of NFL Europe because I was supposed to go to NFL Europe at the end of that season. You know, got got uh, drafted to go play in that, signed a nice, you know, healthy contract, and then the league folded the day we were all going to camp wow. because of the uh, stock market crash. Okay. Um, it was always something three months away, man. I, I kept training for about a good year and a half to two years because um, it was always that thing, you know, the Raiders allocated me to go to play in NFL Europe, but then at the end of the year, our show got fired along okay. with the VP player person. It was just a – Symphony of disasters, as I, as I used to call it, but it ended up working out exactly. You know, at the time, you know, I was, you know, in your mind thinking, well, dang, man, I'm, I feel like I'm good enough to get paid to do this right now. You know what I right. mean? Um, but in retrospect, man, it happened exactly the way I, I could not have written it better myself because I gained a ton of perspective just being on the grind for a long time. You know. When when you get to a, back into a position like this, um, you know certain things are illuminated that maybe as a you know twenty one year old or twenty two year old you know who had a little bit of money in his pocket and was running around feeling like he had some status would not see. Um, so, go ahead. No, so I was just saying you know as I look at it, man, I could not have planned a better path. That's all. I- at what point did you say, you know what, I'm done with this. I can't, football is dumb. I, I can't do it anymore. I'm done with it. When, when did you make right. that decision, and how hard was that decision? Sure, sure, sure. Um, so after that league folded, so there was there was there was a year I got picked up. I was cut. I was supposed to go to, uh, halfway through the year. The Raiders allocated me to go to NFL Europe. When it was time to go sign to go to NFL Europe, which is the end of the year, that's when all of them got fired. All the other teams that were going to sign me had already filled their roster spaces up. The next, the subsequent year, the the new league that was coming out uh, was was being formed, and, and I got drafted to, to play in that. It was going to be the next NFL Europe season. And when that league folded, I had some traction. I was going to go to. Uh, I remember I was talking to some coaches from Jacksonville. Um, thought they were going to bring me in. I was in shape. And it ended up being a situation where they were just like, well, stay ready. We're going to, you know, bring in a local guy. And at that point, you know, I had slept on couches for a good year and a half. I had trained. I had given everything I was going to, I could give. At that point, I was able to look in the mirror and say, okay, you know, at the time I was doing commercials and print stuff out here in L.A. just to make ends meet on the side. And I was like, you know what, man, let me walk through this wide open door. Let me walk, walk through this wide open door instead of trying to find cracks in this other wall, you know what I'm saying? I'm hitting the wall here. I'm trying. I've, I've become very meticulous trying to find the crack to get through. Let me apply that same approach to this wide open door here, and which is why I think I was able to move a bit faster once I started doing this because I was trying so hard, calling every you know VP of player personnel, calling every team, trying to send my tapes here. This is why you need me, um, and I was able to apply that same approach because my brain was just working in that way when it came to, you know, acting. And uh, to me, it was it was very beneficial. We're talking to actor and one of the stars of A Medea's Christmas. 
J.R. Lemon. And, and J.R., right now, who are you a fan of in the National Football League? Do you, are you, do you follow a particular team? I know we talked off air. You said you, you follow sure. more college than the NFL. But, but who do you follow in the NFL? No, I do follow. I mean, you know, I, I'm an Atlanta boy, you know, born and raised, man, so I follow my Falcons, man. It's hurting me. It's hurting me, but oh, man, you know, I'm, still, I'm still ride or die. I'm still ride or die. <laughs> so you're going to ride oh, it all the way off the cliff. What did you say? You're going to ride it all the way off the cliff. A cliff at this I'm going to ride it off the cliff, man. If we're going off, if we're going off the cliff, I'm coming with you. you okay. Hear me? All right. If we're going off the cliff, I'm coming with you. But you know, I mean, I got a lot of partners, man, that uh, you know, that are still playing. So, you know, I, I enjoy watching them also. You know. Okay. So you look, at, you, you look at the Falcons. I mean, well, what happened? I mean, Matty Ice turned into an interception machine. I mean, Julio Jones, Roddy White in and out of the lineup. Julio Jones going for the year didn't play much. I mean, was it just injuries? It just it just seemed like, you know, sometimes in the NFL, just sometimes in sports in general, some teams just have just – it's just not their year for whatever reason. Right. And was, is right. that the case with the Falcons? I mean, I think you, I think you have to, to call it that. I think, I think the injury bug with them was the catalyst of it all. Um, I think – I don't care how good a quarterback is, if he's running for his life, you know, it's, it's going right. to be problems. He's going to get shell shocked eventually. You know, I'm, I'm, I think even the best quarterback is going to, you know, he's not going to go through that that full progression. You're not going to be able to, you know. Right. And if you're too if you're too much of a scrambler, then you're not like a true pocket passer. You know, so I, I don't think that you can necessarily put somebody in there that could just, you know, buy time, you know, and and have it work all the time. I think it was a function of, you know, I, I think the I think the line. Could use you know a little bit of help. Um, I, mean, I, I I hate to say it because I love the guy. Oh man, I love the guy so much, man. Um, but yeah, man, I think it was the right side of that line, man. Ooh, got a little rough. And I see, you know, that's what that's what teams that's what teams are attacking. You know, that's what teams. I mean, if you look at it, where's the pressure coming from? You know, eight out of ten times, man, it's from that from that side. So. I think, you know, getting a little more stout uh, in that space. Um, you know, I think having, uh, you know, Stephen Jackson back. I mean, I was so excited. I played against Stephen Jackson in college, man, when he was in Oregon State. And, uh, you know, I, I know he, I know he's capable of. And, dude, I thought, man, when we got Stephen Jackson, I thought, ooh, I said, this could be it. <laughs> I said, this could be it, man, because you got the explosiveness outside, man. You got really some, some solid slot receivers. I mean, you could even pop Tony out there. Um, and, you know, put him in the slot, man, and, and, and have a field day. I just thought it was weapons all over the place, and I felt like it was explosive enough uh, to be something special. And then you look at the defense, man. The defense is on the field, you know, um, the defense is on the field, they can't, or the defense can't get off the field, man, and we got problems too. Right. You know, so. and I actually thought that defense had – I mean, I thought it was a solid defense, but it wasn't a great defense last year. But the offense was just so good last yes. year that I think, you know, now that the offense has kind of come back to earth a little bit, you see all the flaws with the Atlanta Falcons at this point. But, again, I think it's I think it's just a function of just one of those years, and we'll see what happens with the Falcons moving forward. You're, you're a Stanford guy, and, and the Cardinal, they have a big game today against Arizona State, the Pac-12 championship game. 
you look at it, I mean, this is a team in Arizona State who the Cardinal really just, they, they dominated them uh, the first time these two teams played. I mean, it was, Cardinal was up 29 to nothing at halftime, and then they were in complete control of that game. How do you see this one? How do you see this championship game? You know, I think this one, you know, A-State, uh, Arizona State has been gaining a lot of steam and a lot of confidence, and they're clicking. I, I don't think they're the same team that we played at the beginning of the year. Yeah. Um, I think we are we are definitely going to have to hunker down. We haven't been as great on the road this year. You know, our two our two losses, man, that really took us out of the national championship, uh, you know, were, were both road games. Um, against teams that you wouldn't, you know, that you wouldn't really give a shot against us typically. Um, I do like the matchup. Uh, I do like the matchup with us and them uh, simply because I feel like I feel like those teams that try to play that play the space game like a Oregon, you know, with the spread mm-hmm. offense. I feel like because we have athletic defensive linemen, like those long rangey athletic guys, not necessarily. Out, you know, we got you know we have a nice uh, zero technique, but everybody else can move, and you know that Arizona State deal, man. If you can get penetration on them, you could have some success. And if you're disciplined, you can have some success. Right. And those those seem to be our you know two greatest attributes, which is why we were able to, you know, why I think we were able to do Oregon like we did, you know, because we could get the penetration. Plus, we had we played disciplined football. You got some intelligent guys, man. Who aren't blowing assignments and trying to let the, and rest on their athleticism, you know? Stanford guys, so they got to be intelligent, right? <laughs> you got to be reasonably intelligent, you know. Me, I stuck, I snuck in through the back, man. I snuck in okay. through the back, but everybody else, man, cats wrong. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking to actor, one of the stars of Amadeus Christmas, J.R. Lemon, and J.R. You look at it now, a lot of great college football to be played today. I mean, Ohio State, Michigan State, you got Auburn, Missouri, you got Florida State. Duke, you just look at uh, There's a lot of college football, a lot of great college football to be played today. I want to ask you this. There's been some talk about it. Ohio State, a lot of people believe that Ohio State, they, they have to be impressive against Michigan State to keep their BCS ranking of one or two. Do you believe that's the case? As far as I'm concerned, you're in the Big Ten. If you go and defeat the Big Ten, you go to the BCS title game. But your thoughts? Thank you for asking me this question. Thank you. Because I uh, I hope I hope my one of my best friends who went to Ohio State is listening right now. <laughs> we have this we have this talk all the time. There is no way. I'm not gonna say no way. Okay, I'm just gonna say that there is there is a strong is a very strong case for a you know a one loss SEC team to go to jump Ohio State in the national to the national. Now here's why. When you count, you can tell me that you're ten and zero. You can tell me that you're 11 and 0, 9 and 0, whatever that record is right now. However, when I see Fan U on your schedule, no dis no disrespect to Fan U, <laughs> but when I see Fan U and one ranked team on your schedule, we we got problems. I mean, why is we could call it the Big Ten, but look, we have to look at the Big Ten. Why? Who who is it? Is it Fresno State that's still undefeated right now? Oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. Northern Illinois, or who is it? Well, yeah, they lost last night, so they're not undefeated anymore. Oh, they lost last Oh, okay. Well, they lost well last either, either way, last week there was a there was an 11-0 team who was only ranked 12th, right? So right. if we don't count, if we don't, and that was only because strength of schedule. 
because you know technically they're an uh, undefeated team also. So we, if it applies to them, it has to apply to Ohio State. That's all I'm saying. If it applies to them, I, it has to apply I, to Ohio State. I get what you're saying, but I mean, we're, the Big Ten is the Big Ten, uh, and the, the Big Ten may be a little down this year. But again, if they beat if they beat Michigan State today, you're talking about a Michigan State team, an 11 win Michigan State team, number 10th in the country. That that's an impressive victory. And as far as I'm concerned, if you go undefeated and you're in a major conference, SEC, Big Ten, ACC, Pac-12, if you're a Big 12, if you're in those conferences and you go undefeated. You have to be in the BCS title game. You just do. But that's but that's given. But that's saying that all conferences are the same. That assertion is basically saying all conferences are the same. Well, I mean, you can't compare. I don't think you can compare the MAC conference to the Big Ten. Okay. You know what I mean? Like I understand Northern Illinois was undefeated until last night, but in comparing. I just think, you know, if you're in a big, a major conference and you're undefeated, you got to go. But I get what you're saying because as far as I'm concerned, Alabama is probably better than Ohio State, probably better. Even in Auburn, even though Auburn beat them, I think Alabama's better. And Alabama's sure. probably better than Missouri. I mean, so they're, they're – they're, they're, and we'll see what happens with Florida State. I don't know if they're better than Florida State, but they're, they're just as good as Florida State. So as far as I'm concerned, Alabama, when you look at it, probably – is the best team in the country. I, I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. I mean, all I'm saying is this. All I'm saying is is that we have included into this equation strength of schedule. Right. Right. We have, we have included that. So all I'm saying is that, yeah, you're right, I would not compare the MAC to the Big Ten either. Right. But – I wouldn't compare the Big Ten to the SEC either. True. Right? I wouldn't compare those two. So because of that, I have to factor that into my equation. If I look at your schedule, right, if I look at your schedule and and everybody, you have not been challenged. The only team that challenged you was a 24th-ranked Michigan team. Right. That's the only time when I saw – you know, what you were made of. Like, that, the way Auburn beat Alabama, the way Auburn beat Alabama, and the way really they played the rest of their, I mean, the rest of their season. I mean, they went over Georgia, right, with that last second, uh, yeah. that last second long um, touchdown catch. Right. I mean, right. stuff like that is the, I mean, how do we, how do we vote on Heisman winners, right? <laughs> Part of it is the hype factor, right? Part of it is True. The, the Heisman moment. Right? Wow, that was a Heisman and, moment. And part Why of it's also, the, part of it's also how good you play, team-wise. Oh, 100%. 100%. Right. I'm, I'm with you on that. But I, I don't know. I just feel like they haven't had a national championship moment uh, where, I mean, maybe last game a bit, you know. I did see for the first time, you know, the running back and the quarterback, just the combination of them, you know, Kind of going off, man. Yeah, that was explosive. That, there's no doubt about that. There's no doubt about that. Um, and I'm, I'm not. And this is not me even saying that they're not a national championship caliber team. I'm not right. saying that either, because they may very well likely may be. All I'm saying is that they have missed being tested. 
right? We we have not been able to see them be tested, and that's all. Maybe it happens today. Maybe it happens today. Maybe it happens. Hopefully, it happens today. Hopefully, it happens today. <laughs> Hopefully, it happens today, man. But when you when you're going against you know top ten teams, you know two or three times a season. No, I guess you know I, I'll, yeah. I'll say top fifteen teams. You know, right. the dif- the difference between a top five team and a top twenty five team is is vast, in my opinion. It is. It is very true. We'll see. A lot of good football to be played, man. It's going to be very, very exciting. JR, as we say, you have a Medea's Christmas coming out this Friday. What else do you have in the can? What else is going on with JR Lemon? Yeah, yeah. So I just uh, I just wrapped uh, a series for NBC. Uh, it's called The Night Shift. Um, it'll be coming on uh, just after the Olympics. You'll probably you'll see a lot of uh, you know publicity for it. You know during the Winter okay. Olympics. Um, yeah, it's coming on at the end of February, kind of beginning of March area. But uh, it's going to be a it's about it's a hospital drama, um, medical drama about the uh, night shift of an emergency room and the chaos that kind of ensues during that. But uh, it's going to be okay. good. It's going to be a lot of a lot of fun. Um, it's going to be heartfelt. You know, it's going to pull your your heartstrings a bit, man. But uh, with a little bit of levity in it, also. All right. All right. So where where can fans find information about some of the great things going on with J.R. Lemon? Uh, I mean, the the number one spot is uh, is definitely in my Instagram. I I definitely keep that going and keep that updated as much as possible. It's uh, at uh, J.R.E.Z.Y. Okay. On Instagram. And uh, my Twitter is at J.R. Lemon 2, number 2. So fans support some of the great things going on with J.R. Lemon right now. He's got a Medea's Christmas. He's got a lot of great things going on with him. J.R., pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward. Let's do this again. Oh, man, I'm looking forward, Paul. Take care. All right, boss. J.R. Lemon, actor and one of the stars of a Medea's Christmas in theaters next Friday, December 13th. Go out, support some of the great things going on. With J.R. Lemon. I want to go to the NFL now, and I want to look at the Houston Texans. And they made a decision on Friday to fire their coach, Gary Kubiak, relieve him of his duties. I look at the Houston Texans now, and, and I look at that particular football team, just like the Atlanta Falcons. You know, just things just didn't work out for them. It, 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 just not their gear. Cushing going down. I mean, Arian Foster going down. A lot of injuries with this particular football team. And I look at the Texans, and I say to myself, you know what, I think 2011 was their year. And I go back to the 2011 season, and that was the year they brought in Wade Phillips. That was the year defensively. They were like second in, in, in defense. They were second-ranked defense in football at the time. And they were on a roll and playing some pretty good football, 7-3, and then trouble broke. Matt Schaub went down, out for the year. Matt Liner came in, out for the He went down as well. TJH came in, and ultimately they would finish the season at 10-6, and six, and ultimately they would get to the playoffs, but they would, loot, they would beat the Bengals in the first round. Big-time defense they had helped in that particular game. And then they go to the second round, and they lose to the Baltimore Ravens 20-13, to 13, and you look at that particular football game, and you watch that particular football game, and you say to yourself, what if Matt Schaub was there? TJH got the start. He was a rookie at the time. What if Matt Schaub was there? What if Matt Schaub was there? And to me – that's where it all came together for that particular ball club. 2011 was the year 
It was going to be the year, I think, for the Houston Texans. That was their year. That's when it all came together. That's when it all came together. Everything. Everything came together for the Houston Texans in 2011, but injuries derailed it. And now at this point, there's some uncertainty at the quarterback position. Matt Schaub may probably won't be back. They have Case Keenum in there. We'll see what he can do. But ultimately, this team is probably going to get a top five, top seven, at least a top ten pick at this point. So, you know, what they're going to do with that should be interesting. There's some quarterbacks out there for them to look at. So we'll see if they go that route. But they need a quarterback in Houston. And, you know, obviously they need a new, they're going to get a new coach. So we'll see how the whole thing sorts out for the Houston Texans. But, I mean, 2011 was their year, just like I thought 2012 was the year for the Atlanta Falcons. That was their year, and it didn't happen. I mean, they got a home playoff game. They won a playoff game for the first time under Matty Ice. I mean, Matty Ice had three years of playoff failure, and then he finally got over the top, beat Seattle in the divisional round, and then had an opportunity against the 49ers in the game where they got up early, and they weren't able to finish the deal. That was the bottom line of that. They were not able to finish the deal. And you have to be able to finish the deal, and they weren't able to do it. I mean, they got up early on the 49ers, got up early in that particular ball game, if you remember in the NFC title game, but they just could not hold it. They could not hold it. Couldn't hold it. And, you know, they were in complete control of that game, complete control, 17 to nothing in that game early, 17 to nothing, and then you lose it in your building. That 2012, I guess, was the year for the Falcons. They do have mighty ice, and that's a good thing. But they won't have Tony Gonzalez as he's going to retire. But I just think it's just one of those years. It's just one of those years for the Texans. just one of those years for the Falcons. It happens sometimes. I want to go now quickly on to the NBA. Kobe Bryant scheduled to make his return, as he put on Facebook, on Sunday, tomorrow, against the Toronto Raptors. Very interested to see what Kobe is going to be. I mean, what is Kobe going to be? We know the history of Achilles injuries. Elton Brand, EB, never the same player after his, after his Achilles. LaFonso Ellis for the Nuggets, never the same player after his Achilles injury. Isaiah Thomas never came back after his Achilles injury. Dominique Wilkins is one of the few who has had the same type of success before and after an Achilles injury. So we'll see what Kobe Bryant, the odds are against him. I mean, 18 years playing basketball. The body can only take so much. Father time always finds a way of winning. Can't beat him. Can't beat him. So more often than not, you got to give in to him. But Kobe Bryant, he's scheduled to return Sunday, tomorrow. 17 years in the NBA, 35 years old. You know, a lot of basketball played by Kobe Bryant over the years. We'll see what he is tomorrow. I'm very interested to see if how Kobe is going to be. I don't doubt Kobe. I never doubt Kobe. But I'm very interested to see what he's going to be next season, I mean this season and beyond, as he signed that big deal with the Lakers. And, you know, you look at that deal and I say to myself, why would you not take the Tim Duncan pay cut and see if you can bring somebody else in? But it's not going to be possible. Reality is it's not going to be possible with the deal that he signed. 
they're going to be able to sign another max guy. Will another max guy put the Lakers over the top? Well, the Lakers essentially did it with Shaq and Kobe, and they surrounded him with a bunch, surrounded them with a bunch of pieces. So I guess it's possible, but you have to find that other superstar. And is there another superstar who has that Shaq-like appeal? And even Kobe, I mean, Kobe is not going to be the Kobe that he was during that Laker heyday. So uh, we'll see. We'll see about the Los Angeles Lakers. As I said earlier, I'm going to tell you now who is going to make the playoffs with four weeks left in the National Football League. Who is going to make the playoffs? Let's start with the NFC, and that should be easy. Seattle, I believe, is going to win the NFC West. New Orleans is going to win the NFC South. they got a big game tomorrow against Carolina. I'm going to go with the Saints. I'm going to go with the Saints, and it's going to be a good football game. But I think the Saints are going to find a way. I just believe in them a little more. I believe in their quarterback a little more than I believe in Cam Newton. And Cam Newton's had a great year. I think I just believe in Drew Brees and the Saints a little more. The Lions, will they win the NFC North? I think they hold on there. And I think the Dallas Cowboys hold on to win the NFC East. I think it's, this is going to be the year when Tony Romo is going to come down to that final game. And this pains me to say it because I'm an Eagles fan, and I hope it doesn't happen. I hope I'm wrong here. I hope I'm wrong here, but I, I, the Dallas Cowboys, in the way they have played, I just think, you know, this is going to be – you know, you look at the past few years, they were involved in – you know, essentially the last game was an NFC East championship game, and each game they lost. I think this is the game in the year where they finally come up big. I like the Cowboys to win the NFC East. And in terms of the wild card, I think Carolina and San Francisco both keep the wild card in the NFC. So Seattle wins the NFC West and gets the number one seed. New Orleans will get the number two seed, the way I see it. Detroit gets the third seed, and Dallas will get the fourth seed. Carolina gets the first wild card, and San Francisco will get the number six wild card. It's going to be a battle between San Francisco and and Carolina, but Carolina beats San Francisco – so essentially Carolina has a two-game lead on San Francisco. So I believe, when I, when, I, when I look at it, I believe Carolina is going to hold off San Francisco and stay in the number five seed. San Francisco will go and be in the sixth seed. So Carolina fifth, San Francisco sixth. Let's go to the AFC now. Here's how I see it. Denver, I think they're at 10-2 right now. And game, uh, New England's a game behind them, but I think Denver's going to handle their business and ultimately get that number one seed. I think New England stays number two. I think Indy will get three, and I think Cincinnati will get the fourth. And I think Seattle, Kansas City excuse me, will get number five. The question is, in the AFC, who gets six? It comes down to the Ravens, the Dolphins, the Titans, the Steelers, the Chargers, the Jets. Well, I look at it. Um, I think the Baltimore Ravens stay there. I, I think the Baltimore Ravens, will win the sixth seed or get the sixth seed in the AFC. Uh, I, don't believe in, I don't believe in Miami. I don't trust their quarterback. I just don't trust their team at this point. So I, I think they win, and ultimately, meaning the, the Baltimore Ravens, I believe they hold on. Their final four games, Minnesota, at Detroit, New England, and at Cincinnati. And after looking at their schedule again, I'm going to have to take a – I'm definitely going to have to take a double take here. I'm definitely going to have to take a double take, but they do hold the tiebreaker over the Dolphins. Let me look at the Dolphins' final four at Pittsburgh, New England, at Buffalo, 
and the Jets. I'm going to stick with the Ravens there. And I think what's going to be big is their victory that the, the victory that the Ravens had against the Dolphins earlier in the season. That's going to be huge. Pittsburgh is still going to be lurking, and I had Pittsburgh actually going to the playoffs before the season started. But you know, you got I, I got to change my mind here. I, I got to give you what I think is truly going to happen. I got to keep it real with you, no matter if it goes against what I predicted earlier in the season. I got to be real with what. I believe, and I had the Cowboys going in earlier in, in terms of winning the NFC East, and I got to stick with that. I actually had the Packers winning the NFC. Um, I had the Packers winning the NFC North, and I had the Falcons winning the NFC uh, South. So, and I had San Francisco winning the, the NFC West. So, I'm all off. My picks are all messed up. But I look at the a- AFC. I think Baltimore gets into the playoffs and gets that sixth seed. So it should be interesting. Obviously, there's a lot of great football to be played over the next four weeks. This is December. This is the fourth quarter. You put all in segments, four, 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 four. Four quarters in an NFL season. 16 games, four quarters. This is the fourth quarter. This is December and December football is big football, and a lot of things can happen in the month of December. And that's how we separate the wheat from the tear in that, in this fourth quarter. We separate the wheat from the tear in December. Well, that's where the separation comes. And we will be doing some separating here in the month of December. I want to thank actor J.R. Lemon for stopping by. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at JRLemon2, and make sure you go out and see Tyler Perry's and Medea's Christmas in theaters December 13th. Also, I want to thank Everett Brown for stopping by. Go to his website, everettbrown.net, and support some of the great things Everett Brown has going on as well. You can listen to this show and other great shows at blogtalkradio.com slash pgan, where you can listen to this show and other great shows. Follow us on Twitter at GoForItGant, G-O-F-O-R-I-T, G-A-N-T. Hit us up on YouTube at youtube.com slash user slash go for again where you can see some great interviews that have been had and seen and saw and heard on this show. For everybody here at Go For It, we hope you have a great weekend. We hope you have a great week. We will, we will be back here next Friday, 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, so make sure you check us in. See you later. Take care.